We're driven by the search for better. But when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search match with Indeed. Indeed is your matching and hiring platform with over 350 million global monthly visitors, according to Indeed data, and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast. Ditch the busy work. Use Indeed for scheduling, screening, and messaging so you can connect with candidates faster. Leveraging over 140 million qualifications and preferences every day, Indeed's matching engine is constantly learning from your preferences, so the more you use Indeed, the better it gets. Join more than 3.5 million businesses worldwide that use Indeed to hire great talent fast. And listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Just go to Indeed.com slash BlueWire right now and support our show by saying that you heard about Indeed on this podcast. That's Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Terms and conditions apply. Need to hire? You need Indeed. What's up, y'all? It's Drewski, and I've teamed up with Mountain Dew to produce a hilarious new basketball podcast called The Dew Zone with Drewski. Learn the backstories of your favorite ballers and celebrities like Jamal Murray. Did you have, like, a favorite team? Was it the Raptors at the time or no? Was the Raptors even started around that time? Come on, bro. I ain't that old, fam. <laughs> You're talking like I'm 50. Taylor Rooks, Asia Wilson, and many more. You won't want to miss this. Listen to The Do Zone with Drewski on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, and wherever you listen to podcasts. Hey there. We at Blue Wire just wanted to take a second to thank you for listening to this podcast. We know everything outside is pretty scary and uncertain, but we're committed to helping you get through your day by talking about the sports and teams that you love most. If you're looking for more great podcasts to distract you, check out BlueWirePods.com. Thanks for listening. Enjoy the podcast and stay safe. The Timeline is a Blue Wire podcast. Robinson on Barkley. It's his game to win. Will we go to overtime? Barkley, 20-footer, yes! Charles Barkley with an MVP jump shot. Welcome to the Timeline of Phoenix Suns podcast. This week, we actually are going to talk about the Phoenix Suns instead of the depressing news all around the world, which we had to cover last week. Uh, But now we're back in the swing of things. We feel a little bit more uh, able to talk about basketball now. My name is Mike. Of course, I'm here with Sam, Sam Cooper. Sam, how are you doing? I'm doing pretty well, Mike. I've been outside a handful of times this week, just enough to not be vitamin D deficient. And now I'm ready to come back. (laughs) And talk about the Suns. I'm actually really excited for this episode, A, because of the guests we've had on, um, or we're having on, who we've had on this podcast before, but B, because uh, it, it was actually an idea from a listener to kind of turn our focus towards some Suns history and uh, just using the month of March kind of as a lens for that. I'm happy with uh, what we're going to be talking about. Yes, we're going to talk about what 
Suns fans, or I should say at least fans of the podcast, voted on as the best Suns team, the greatest Suns team of all time. And to talk about this that with us, we are joined by one of the hosts of the Solar Panel Podcast. I know you guys all know uh, about that podcast. It's Greg Esposito. Espo, how are you doing? I am good. I let, Let's be honest. You guys went, okay, we need an old guy that can <laughs> talk about some of these teams in this tournament. And you went... The only guy that we're going to go with is is Espo because he can rattle on about those teams for a long time. I mean, you it's not just your age, you have the knowledge. <laughs> the yeah, knowledge has that's to be debatable. There too. I basically I basically went to Mike and I said, "You know, what old fart can we bring on to talk about Suns history?" You know, I I suggested your co-host with the solar panel Dave King first, but Dave's only been covering the Suns for about ten years, so you were the well, perfect choice. And and Dave and Dave is in bed by the the time we're recording this, so <laughs> yeah, you wouldn't have uh, had the ability to talk to him. I think he goes to bed at about five thirty at night uh, if there's not a game going on. So yeah, I remember the when I was a guest on uh, your podcast. Thanks again for that. Uh, we recorded at like six in the morning on a Saturday morning. I was like, oh no, I don't even know if I'm going to be up for that. Yeah. Well, that's that's a byproduct of me uh, having a, well, now a three-year-old. Uh, we When we started the show, I was on uh, early morning daddy duty a lot or, or uh, you know, so or I had to take the morning shift. So basically we had to record it super early on a Saturday. Otherwise we couldn't do it. So, uh, so that's how that, that all started with the show being uh, so early in the morning. And we can blame my, uh, my young daughter for that. <laughs> I was impressed. I was impressed with your guys' ability to uh, be sort of mentally aware that early in the morning. That's not, that's not me. I'm not that guy. <laughs> the, nobody has ever accused the three of us on that show of being mentally aware at any time of day. So, so don't worry about that. So the last time you joined us was when we did our sort of retrospective episode on the 2009-2010 team, which of course was one of the teams that we are included in this bracket that we're about to go through. Uh, but from what I remember about that conversation between you and I, uh, Greg, was that you did not start covering or working for the team, I should say, until the season after that. Is that right? Yeah. Uh, it started in, uh, in 2011, uh, covering or working for the team was covering the team for uh, Arizona Sports. Uh, I was running their uh, their website at the time, uh, so I uh, covered the team there, and then covered them previously uh, with another website that I had uh, run with uh, Vince Murata called Fanster dot com. So uh, so had covered them for a while. Uh, hadn't worked for the team yet at that point, and then I've been a fan since. Uh, well, longer than I'd like to admit, but the the early early '90s uh, was when I uh, when I started uh, being quite aware of the team. But uh, I've done my research throughout the history of this franchise, having uh, worked around it and, and and been around it for as long as I have. So Do that you... was the Gortat team, right? <laughs> that was one of the Gortat teams. Who he is actually one of my favorite players. I ever covered in uh, in basketball. Uh, one of the funniest guys. Uh, one of my favorite stories is uh, the first year I was with the team. I started the uh, team's official uh, podcast at the time called Suns One on One, and I would sit down with a player, and I sat down with him, and we had this forty-five minute discussion on the practice court, and I had to cut a good seven minutes out of that show because he <laughs> went on 
he went on a tirade about how uh, he was better than Dwight Howard, and <laughs> and it was just full of curse words. And I was like, if I run this, I'm going to get fired. I'm, so, uh, and and ever since then, he, then he and I uh, have have been friends. We still talk. I mean, as as much friends as somebody who worked for the team and somebody who played for the team can be, but we still talk uh, through Twitter uh, DM all the time uh, and and reach out to each other so uh so yeah marching is one of my uh one of my irrational favorites to uh to ever don a son's uniform he was a funny dude but he also sort of had that reputation of getting himself in trouble <laughs> with the media a little bit maybe with some of those polish interviews he did that i guess he thought wouldn't get translated back into english uh so based based on your story there that makes a lot of sense but uh also espo i just want to ask you you said you've been following since the early 90s. Do you have an earliest memory of, you know, positive experiences with Suns basketball? I think I actually, uh, I think the earliest that I remember vividly is uh, the announcement of the Barkley trade. Uh, that was right, I was nine at the time, and I had just started he- heavily listening to sports radio, which is kind of sad as a nine-year-old. That's uh, <laughs> That's what I did, but I listen to sports radio heavily back uh, back then as I continue to to this uh, to this day and I remember uh, the news about Barkley and then I remember kind of the excitement around that uh, around that dream team and that was it that uh, I kind of the love affair started then and I remember vividly uh, almost every season uh, between uh, between then and now although I've uh, attempted to erase the last 10 years out of my mind but uh unfortunately have uh have been un- incapable of doing that but uh yeah so i i remember a lot of the last uh you know almost three decades worth of uh of sons basketball this might be a weird question but are you happy that you worked for the team and i know that that's kind of a weird way to put that but i mean part, part of what i sort of enjoy uh in doing this podcast and sort of covering the team the way that Sam and I do is sort of having the ability to kind of say what, whatever we want, whenever we want, uh, without any sort of consequences or repercussions. Uh, but I, I imagine that you have personal relationships. Like I'm sure you've met Robert Sarver before, for example, you've had interactions (laughs) with him. Uh, do you think, how, how does it feel to cover the team after that? Well, you know, it, it's not a weird question because it's one I actually have asked myself, and I almost didn't take the job with the Suns because of that. Because, like I said, I was at Arizona Sports, and I thought, hey, I get to be around sports, I get to cover it. I, I'm not restrained in anything I can say or anything I can do. Uh, and it was actually my wife that uh, convinced me, no, you've got to go take the chance to work for a team that uh, that you loved since you were a kid, and I don't regret uh, working for the team. Uh, I loved being around the basketball side of it. Uh, I got the the pure honor of uh, of being on a, the same broadcast as Al McCoy, uh, a man who uh, his calls of Suns games are a big part of why I am a fan and will always 
be a fan of this team. So those things I don't, I wouldn't trade for anything and the memories and, and getting to work with great people like John Bloom and, and Julie Fye, who's the head of basketball communications and uh, so many, so many people around there. Uh, Tom Leander, another, another great guy, uh, you know, uh, the coaching staff and the players, guys like Goran Dragic that, uh, that I got to know and Eric Bledsoe uh, that, uh, that I genuinely like, as human beings, I wouldn't, I wouldn't change that. And even Lon Babby, Lon gets a, a hard time from a lot of the fans, but there, there was not a nicer man to me uh, in that organization. Uh, he was always uh, a true gentleman uh, to me. Uh, but it, you know, the one part of it that was really difficult, well, two, A, you don't get to say what your actual opinion is. You have to, you have to kind of couch that a little bit, uh, which I worked there through some rough times, obviously. Mm-hmm. But uh, the, other, the other side of it is you wind up learning the, the reality that a lot of sports is business and uh, it comes down to spreadsheets and, uh, and dollars and cents. And that disillusions you a little bit because as a fan, it's not about that at all. It's about winning. It's about the passion. It's about what it means to a city to have a, have a team and, and have a great team and, and those kind of things. And you can't put that genie back in the bottle once you work for, for a team. It changes your perception there. But, uh, you know, it, it really hasn't, you know, another case in point, Ryan McDonough uh, was a was a great, uh, great guy, a, a guy, uh, you know, that that I would consider friendly with. But uh, it, it really doesn't prohibit me now coming back to the other side of it of mm-hmm. speaking my mind. I mean, if you've listened uh, to our show, which uh, I don't know if, if, if anybody has, but hey, uh, if, if people <laughs> have listened to it, uh, you know, I, I'm not shy about uh, my disdain for certain things that uh, that Robert Sarver or front offices or uh, or coaching staff anybody uh, has done. You know, like I'm, I'll be very honest about it. I'll share my experiences about it. And uh, so, to long answer to uh, to your question, I've thought about it. Uh, I don't regret it, but there are certain things that you go well. That'll never quite be the same as a fan mm-hmm. after seeing how the sausage was made. Uh, that's that's really interesting, and I've thought I've thought about the same. Sometimes I've seen uh, some job postings by by the Suns, and I and I look, Wait, would I like to do that or uh, or or not? But uh, I appreciate your time working there. I, I I watched every season while you were there. I remember the Rise Network. I remember you guys uh, broadcasting some of the preseason games. I think. Yeah. Uh, you had a big part in that, so I appreciate all that. Oh, thank um, you. And I think uh, you did a good job while you're there, and I appreciate you coming on with us. And I, I appreciate that. I know not everybody uh, agrees with that, but that I appreciate you you saying that, and we uh, we tried our hardest uh, to do it. And uh, I, uh, one quick story I think you guys will enjoy. When I started at the Suns, the second week I was there, Julie Fye, as I mentioned, head of basketball communications, walked up to me and goes, you know, I have a file on you. And I went, well, I guess my time here's done. Two weeks was good, right? Uh, and she goes, I have a file of everything negative you ever wrote. And I'll say this about it. She goes, you were always fair. And when I found out we were hiring you, I was 
I was happy about it because even though you had been negative about us, you were fair about it. You were factual about it. And I, that moment I always respected. And, and that was kind of a guiding principle for me. As long as I could stand behind how I was criticizing something and why it was all right. And I think that that, I think that a lot of people forget that, uh, when, when covering teams, I think you guys do a great job uh, of it. You're always very thoughtful and, and considerate in the way you go about things. So I appreciate that about, uh, about your show and what you guys do. Uh, thank you for that. Sam, do you think Julie has a file on us? <laughs> that's, that's what I was going to say. It's kind of terrifying to think that yeah. she went through years of articles that you wrote. Yeah. Well, that's I can't imagine job, she's listened know? to our podcast. Yeah. <laughs> she probably has teams of interns listening to all of our podcasts. Yeah. Uh, they still I, let me in the building, so I guess uh, they're not too <laughs> mad about it. So I will say, and I'm not, f- for the record, I'm not criticizing this person for doing this, uh, but one time a uh, salesman texted me, you know how they have your information if you've entered into contests and all that, Yep. Uh, and said, uh, hey, Mike, I, I love your podcast. If you need any help getting into Suns games, let me know. <laughs> and I was like, oh, that's a little weird. <laughs> <laughs> Yep. Uh, it, it was a compliment, so it was nice. But also <laughs> knowing that someone who listens to the podcast now has my phone number and likely my address in a file somewhere uh, <laughs> kind of shook me to my core a little bit. Don't worry. They all know where we all live, so it's all right. Yeah. <laughs> uh, all right, let's get into it. So, Sam, I want to thank you for the work that you put into this because Sam uh, put, put together this bracket. The people uh, did all the work. Really? <laughs> yeah, they did all the voting, but uh, you had to you had to get it all together. And just to go through the seeds, and then we'll go through each round together to talk about what people picked and what our thoughts are on that. Uh, the number one seed was, of course, the ninety two ninety three Suns. They had to be the closest to winning a championship. Uh, I mean, I guess the seventy five seventy six Suns were in there as well, but the ninety two ninety three Suns uh, MVP Charles Barkley, of course. And uh, going against Michael Jordan in those NBA finals, that had to be the number one seed. The two seed was the 0405 Suns. Sam, I think you chose that team because of the record as the two seed. Is that right? Yeah, I hope the seeding doesn't come under too much scrutiny here as if I had like an actual system. Because for a second, I thought (laughs) (laughs) about developing some sort of system. I would say just roughly, it's like a combination of uh, best regular season records, deepest playoff runs. Uh, and other things. You know, it, it was kind of weird because it's like the 76 team that went to the finals, that was a 42-win team, yeah. but they went to the finals. Uh, so, you know, I knew that they had to be in the top eight somewhere just by virtue of that and, and kind of respecting that deep playoff run. So, like, they were in there somewhere. But, yeah, I mean, to answer your question, uh, 2005 was tied for the best regular season record with 93, and so I made them the second seed. Yeah, I think that makes sense. 94-95, Suns. Another Charles Barkley team was the three seed, four seed, oh six, oh seven Suns, which I think may have been pe- everyone's second favorite team based on the votes. We'll talk a little bit about that. That team went 61 and 21, of course, an excellent team. The 75 76 Suns that went to the finals, as Sam said, the 42 and 40 team was the five seed, nine, 10 Suns, which is one of my, my f- personal favorite teams just because of how likable they were. Uh, and of course, the, the podcast that all three of us, have a lot of experience talking about on 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 this uh, this actual podcast, um, and then the eighty eight eighty nine Suns were the seven seed, and the eight seed was the eighty eighty one Suns, which got no love <laughs> in, in 
in this bracket. I think it'll be interesting to talk about that team. Let's talk about the first matchup, which was a complete, absolute blowout. It was the one seed versus the eight seed. I understand the voting for this one, but it was 97% in favor of the 92-93 Suns versus the 80-81 Suns. Espo, do you think that's specifically because the average age of the people who listen to this podcast is 14? (laughs) (laughs) Well, I I joked about it on Twitter with you guys that recency bias was going to be the winner uh, of this tournament, but I don't don't think this is necessarily the case here because that uh, 80-81 team... Uh, had some good players on it. You're talking about, you know, Alvin Adams, who's an all-time great for the Suns. Uh, Walter Davis, uh, obviously an all-time great. Uh, Truck Robinson, Dennis Johnson. I mean, there there's some good names there, but this is also a team who was uh, the best team in the league in the West. Uh, one seed got a weird buy in the playoff, first round of the playoffs, the league uh, was doing some weird stuff back in the uh, in the early 80s and then lost to the Kings in the second round. They basically came out and, and just laid an egg the first chance that they got in the playoffs. So there's a reason that it's not a real memorable team when you, when you think about uh, Suns lore because they were probably one of the biggest disappointments in terms of uh, the potential that they had and, and how far they fell. And when you look, think about the love affair with this city still to this day, and, and I'm one of those people who grew up uh, loving this 92-93 team, uh, I think it it's realistic that this is, is the way the voting would go. But I have a question for you guys, because I did some research and did uh, did something that that I'd like to discuss, but was the thought of this tournament, if these two teams actually played, what would the result be, or based on just popularity, what what uh, what was the thought? Yeah, so I think I didn't do a great job with exp- explaining exactly what those intentions should be. My thought was, how cool would it be if these two teams actually played each other okay, on that- the court? And I know that's tougher. Because then you have to bring in the whole conversation of, okay, w- which rules are we playing with? Especially if it's a team like 1976, that's pre-three-point line. But uh, So I know it's tougher, but I thought, like, as I was envisioning these matchups, I was really trying to imagine the starting fives playing against each other, what those specific matchups are, um, and yeah. Okay, so that is the way I took it, and I went a step further because when you guys invited me on, I said I'm going to do more research for this show than I do for my own show, which is none <laughs> on the solar panel, but here I, I actually went through and prepared. I have used a tool, a simulation tool before ah. uh, where you can actually match up old teams against each other. We did this with the Suns in my first year with the digital team, and we all drafted uh, all-time great Suns teams and then simulated a tournament. It it was... We had we had Leander, a bunch of guys uh, in there uh, who who drafted teams. So when I heard you guys were doing this, I I immediately turned to this and and simulated this. So this game between ninety two ninety three and eighty eighty one, obviously the ninety two ninety three team was the home team uh, based on your seating. 
and they would have won 122 to 110. This this program okay. basically simulates a thousand versions of a game and gives you an aggregate of it. Wow. And it actually produces a box score as well. And Barkley would have dominated this matchup. Yeah. 33 <laughs> yeah. points, 17 rebounds, six assists is what he would have had uh, in, in this game. Dan Marley also would have added in uh, 24 points, four rebounds, Three three blocks, three steals. So so Marley would have had a, a pretty impressive game, and nobody uh, other than Dennis Johnson on that uh, 80-81 team uh, really would have had a, a big game. He had 27 in the simulation. So I think your voters, the fans uh, of of the Timeline Podcast, got this right. So what's uh, what's the, the simulation? What's the name of that program? It, it's called What If Sports. Uh, That's really cool. That's really is. cool. I mean, yeah. look, I think you know there's. There's this temptation to just talk about the 93 team as we move through this bracket, framing it as, you know, that was MVP Barkley. But I think the other thing we can talk about there is just how deep that team was and and how much that would have prevailed in this game, too. You know, that roster, maybe more than any other roster in this bracket, just eight to ten solid guys um, who could just really, really score. About the 81 team, I just want to say before we move on, you know, I, I was... Uh, happy to include that team just because I feel like that's a bit of a forgotten era of Suns basketball, if there is any forgotten era. You know, this was the first year post Paul Westfall um, and kind of the franchise turning a new corner in that direction. I mean, obviously, they had Walt, a young Walter Davis at that point who would continue to be with the team for many years, um, but not a single player on that roster was uh, over the age of 30, and they won 57 games and had some great names, uh, as you said, Espo with Dennis Johnson, Truck Robinson, and Alvin Adams still. So, you know, just that team being able to go so far, even if they did get bounced by the Kings, uh, with such a young roster is is kind of impressive and deserves some, uh, just a shout out. Yeah. Yeah. I I think too, it's, they got it right. I agree with you, Greg, but uh, I will say that any of these sort of older teams in the 70s and 80s are just sort of disadvantaged in general, not just because our fan base is young. It's also because the NBA was not the same <laughs> back then. A lot of guys were still smoking cigarettes or had second <laughs> jobs. Like th- it's not the way that training and the way that athletes have evolved over the course uh, of time would put them all at sort of a disadvantage. And, and they, they were a tall team. Of course, those, those Suns teams, they had size, uh, but they weren't quite the athletes that that 92, 93 team was. And I think there's, there's really, if they do, if they did play uh, as fascinating as it would have been to watch, they were they were at a massive disadvantage and and that's a really cool program that you found greg and and i think that sounds accurate to me although i i would have expected a little more of a blowout by the 92 93 team i think well look for me what what strikes me as interesting is to your point about early late 70s early 80s teams i think alvin adams would have been an ultimate stretch four in today's game if you played mm. he was an unbelievable passer uh, could shoot uh, yep. very well. Yeah, just had a huge basketball IQ. He he played center for for those Suns teams, but I think he would have been a stretch four and and would have shot threes in today's game. It would have been. I I think he would have been even better than he was, and he's mm-hmm. one of uh, the all time great uh, Suns. 
And and that's what we can talk about with a lot of these guys is if they grew up today, they would be trained in a different way and coached in a different way from a young age. They would be encouraged to shoot threes. And I think it's really applicable. Like Alvin Adams averaged uh, four and a half assists per game that season. He led that team that we're talking about, the 81 team in assists, more so than any guard on the roster. Where do we see that in today's NBA? I mean, you know, it's shades of Nikola Jokic is what you're talking about. There's a, a different physical profile, obviously, with Adams. But I, I think there would be potential for him to kind of fit that archetype in, in today's league. Yeah, and what a lot of people don't know is, uh, you know, Kareem actually said that Alvin Adams was uh, was one of the toughest guy he had to go up against in the West during his time. So all-time great center, uh, giving that kind of love to, to Alvin Adams. That I think he's a guy that gets completely overlooked when, when looking back at, at Sun's history. So I want to just give him his due. He'll show up in, in one of the – actually, no, this is the only team he shows mm-hmm. up in other than the 75-76. Uh, so I just wanted to make sure to give him his due before we moved off of this team. Yeah, did Alvin work for the team when you uh, worked there? Yes, and Alvin is another one of uh, those great human beings. Amazing, amazing guy, and if you ever get the chance to meet him, I I highly recommend having a conversation. He's got so many great stories. Not only uh, was he one of the best Suns players, but uh, remember, again, 92-93, when Shaq was a rookie and he broke the backboard here in Phoenix, Alvin Adams was the guy that actually had to figure out how they could could fix it and then figure out uh, for the rest of the season how you could actually tether a hoop so it wouldn't break the way Shaq broke it. So fun, wow. fun little uh, story because he manages the the arena and has since uh, since ninety two ninety three. So yeah, that's awesome. Let's let's move on to the the second round ra- or second matchup here. Of course, we're going to get back to that ninety two. 93 team I, I know you could imagine it got pretty far in this bracket uh <laughs> the second matchup was the 0405 suns team which appeared to be a a favorite online versus the 89 suns team which i think didn't quite get their due here i'd like to hear what you guys think of this but the 0405 team got 93 percent of the votes in this one and i thought this was actually in in my opinion i think this was the most interesting sort of point point guard matchup other than like when Nash went versus Nash <laughs> in some of these matchups <laughs> here. Uh, but this was sort of a younger Kevin Johnson. Of course, Kevin Johnson was on that 92-93 team, but he was a little up and down, battled back from uh, some injuries that year. Still an excellent player, but uh, this 89 Suns team uh, had some pretty in- impressive players. This was, of course, pre-Charles Barkley. Uh, and they had, of course, Kevin Johnson, Tom Chambers, of Eddie Johnson, one of the greats uh, on this team. Tom Chambers averaged 25.7 points in that 88-89 season. Uh, Kevin Johnson, 20 points and um, 12 assists, which is just insane. Uh, very, you know, Russell Westbrook-type numbers in that season. Uh, but they didn't get much votes. Sam, what did you think about uh, this matchup? Uh, well, the yeah, I, what was it? The final tally, like eighty-seven to thirteen, no, or it's something. No, ninety-three percent voted. Ninety-three to seven. Yeah. Wow. Um, okay. Yeah. I mean, that's showing the age a little bit, but I do think two thousand five is the better team. Ultimately, uh, yeah, that's that's just funny. I think ultimately, you know, it being pre-Charles Barkley is kind of the thing that distinguishes this team a little bit from 
other teams. Obviously, the, the 89 team went to the Western Conference Finals. They were not supposed to win as many games as they did, winning 55 games. Um, and Tom Chambers being the, the leading scorer on that team, almost 26 points per game, naturally very impressive. But I think when you put Tom Chambers maybe against prime Amari Stoudemire, you get kind of like a similar type of player. It's not the same sort of dominant gap that there would be between a guy like Charles Barkley and Amari, where Barkley is really able to create his own shot consistently. You can run an offense through him. Uh, he can play make for others. Tom Chambers, uh, maybe not quite that guy. He's similar to Amari in that he was a phenomenal finisher, had all sorts of floater touch. He could jump over anybody um, and just a great play finisher and a great one-two punch with him and Kevin Johnson. But when you put the two teams together, I do think 2005 has uh, not necessarily the greater depth overall because they weren't a very deep team, but the greater number three and number four kind of supporting players. Sean Marion and Joe Johnson as a 3-4 punch yeah, yeah. Uh, is, is just absurd. And it's hard for me to consider how the 89 team would stop that. Um, the only other thing I'll say about this one is our dear friend, Eddie Johnson, with his feelings about the three-point shot, I want to point out, 1989 is the only season in EJ's career that he shot over 40% from three-point range. That was also the year he won his only award, uh, mm. his lone sixth man of the year. Is that a coincidence? Probably. <laughs> but I'm going po- gonna to throw that out there anyway. And, and you know... Maybe uh, just think about that a little bit. Man, dude, Espo, what you, you, you bought of you. <laughs> <laughs> uh, no, I, I think this is an, it was an interesting matchup that probably didn't get its fair due in the voting uh, because this was the 88-89 team was the biggest, one of the biggest comeback uh, seasons in NBA history, 87-88 was the aftermath of the cocaine sons and the suspensions and the drama and everything that went along with that. And in one off season, the, they completely remade the roster. Uh, they completely changed everything about that team. Colangelo and Cotton Fitzsimmons uh, did a complete overhaul. They signed Tom Chambers as the first unrestricted free agent in NBA history. Uh, and, and Chambers had an unbelievable season. I don't think, again, I don't think people remember necessarily how much of a freak athlete Tom Chambers was and yeah. how, how big of a star he was at, at that point. Uh, he, he had an, an unbelievable year the previous year with the Sonics, uh, was, had a huge all-star game uh, in 87-88, uh, came to the, the, the team and, and was a dominant force. And KJ, this is this is second year KJ, young, athletic before the injuries, uh, defensively a a real stopper. I mean, th- it was a pretty deep squad. Uh, so I don't think the voting necessarily reflected how I think this team would have hung in right. with the with the o four o five team uh i think kj probably would have uh, would have handled nash in a way that nash was not used to being right uh, to being guarded by a lot of guys in in his era uh amari and chambers would have been just an unbelievable athletic duel i think where uh, it probably would have gone in favor of the 0405 team was 
uh, Joe Johnson versus Jeff Hornacek. Jeff Hornacek would not have been able to uh, contain uh, a young Joe Johnson. Uh, and then you're looking at Sean Marion versus uh, Dan Marley or Eddie Johnson at certain points in the game. There's just no way that they could have uh, could have guarded him. The athleticism would have been uh, just overwhelming for those guys. So when you look at it, uh, the I, I ran the simulation here too. And it would have been a 111-102 victory for the 0405 Suns. But according to the simulation, it would have taken a uh, fourth quarter where the 0405 team outscored the 88-89 team by 13 points to wind up winning. So right. the, that that 89 team, 88-89 team would have had a lead going into the fourth based on the simulation. And this, I think, the 88... 88- 89 team was mentally for me the most interesting team to think about just because this team actually the way that it's put together would be a fascinating modern NBA team had they played more like a modern NBA team and I'll I'll tell you some of the reasons why Eddie Johnson for example who was insanely efficient this year 49.7% from the field also 41.3% from three but he only took 2.5 three-point attempts per game This team also had a 23-year-old Steve Kerr who, even at 23 years old, was shooting 47% from three, and he shot less than one per game. Now, that's partially because he didn't get a ton of minutes. He was playing just kind of deep, deep bench minutes, but had they been coached by sort of a modern coach, I imagine Steve Kerr, Eddie Johnson... Jeff Hornacek, by the way, only took one three-pointer per game as well. He only shot 33%, but had he trained sort of more like a modern uh, player, we all know that Jeff Hornacek is a better shooter than a 33% three-point shooter. These guys would be launching threes around Kevin Johnson, uh, just driving to the rim with Tom Chambers, of course, another good three-point shooter. I think that if they were to play a little differently, uh, this team would be pretty amazing. They, they just have so many guys who can shoot threes. Eddie Johnson, Dan Marley, Steve Kerr, Jeff Hornacek, Tom Chambers for his position. Really, the worst shooter at their position would probably be uh, Kevin Johnson, who still shot over 50% on 20 points per game. Uh, I think it would be... It's just sort of an interesting uh, team mentally to think about because, of course, they did not play like a modern NBA team. No team did at that time. Uh, but they they were kind of built for it. Uh, so it was kind of an interesting team for me to th- think about. But I think the voters got it right. That 0405 team, I think that's the team that so many Suns fans, along with this 2007 team, I, th- I think, look back on and, and have the most feelings of sort of what if because there's so much talent on that so team. So much. And uh, and it just never, you know, through for for various reasons, Amari Stoudemire's injury, Joe Johnson breaking his face, uh, Joe Johnson ending up leaving. Of course, there's so many reasons, and even Marion being gone, uh, like for example, in that 0-9-10 team, which sort of had uh, a surprising three seed in the playoffs. I think there's just so much what if going back on that. So I, I understand why people voted for that team, and I, I do think they would have win. And that simulation, I think, uh, adds to the case for that one. So. Up, uh, yeah. Uh, up until I think Kevin Durant joined the Warriors, I think I thought about the 2005 team as the most talented starting lineup we had seen in my lifetime. Uh, even if it didn't win a ring, like that's how talented those five were. The problem is the team's five deep, and you're talking about 
the 89 team kind of training like a modern team and launching threes. The thing about launching threes, as great and as brilliant as the the mid-2000s run-and-gun sons were with that strategy, it's a little bit corny to say, but in a single elimination style, it's a make-or-miss league. And yeah. the, more, the more threes you launch, the more variance there is. Right. Uh, especially more so when you don't have a deep team and you have a team that relies on, like, if Q Rich and Joe Johnson don't hit their threes in that game— and they're playing a similarly good team in 89. As Bo pointed out, his simulation said that was a close game until the fourth quarter. Uh, 89 could have pulled away with it, you know, if, if a couple guys weren't hitting their corner three. So right. I think that's the kind of margin of error we're dealing with. Uh, you know, Nash probably still would have been very good. But who knows, if we're allowing hand-checking, uh, like again, like Espo said, then maybe that would have really pressed him. And uh, it could have been a really close game. I think the thing we forget about that 0405 team, too, is... Uh, you had Leandro Barbosa, who mm-hmm. was coming, uh, learning the game and starting to have an impact. But you also had Stephen Hunter, who had a, a big year for that team before yeah. he signed a big contract with the 76ers. And even Casey Jacobson mm-hmm. was a guy that could come in off the bench and, and shoot as well. So I, there, was just, there was just a dearth of, of talent on that roster for sure. Yeah, I think, like I said, I think everyone did get it right. And and that 0405 team, of course, uh, no spoilers, but uh, it went pretty far as well. <laughs> we'll just say that. Um, let's take a quick break for our sponsor here. And we'll be back to talk about the rest of this first round and, of course, the rest of this bracket. With currently no NBA, NHL, or MLB, you might think there's nothing to bet on. Well, you'd be wrong. Our exclusive partner still has hundreds of sports, events, and games to wager on, or let them bring Vegas to you with their online casino and blackjack. All open 24 hours a day and all online, including their $750,000 poker series. If you're into props and entertainment betting, you can still bet on Survivor, Big Brother, American Idol, stock prices, and even the weather. Visit their website and join today to receive a 100% welcome bonus with your first deposit. Be sure to use the promo code BLUEWIRE. Bet online, your online wagering experts. All right, the next round we're going to cover, uh, I I talked about it a little bit when introducing this team. One of my favorite uh, teams and one that we covered extensively on this podcast, the 2009 2010 Suns versus the 94-95 Suns. So um, another very good team. This was a the closest in the first round, the closest matchup that we had. 62% still voted for the 2009-2010 Suns team, which did make the Western Conference Finals. Of course, the tragic ending uh, with the uh, Game 5 miss by Kobe Bryant and Meta World Peace known as Ron Artest at the time, <laughs> making the putback. And then, of course, Game 6, Kobe Bryant went nuclear and uh, the Suns went down. That 94-95 team was also still a very good team. Uh, Espo, what do you think about this matchup? I think this is the one uh, out of the entire tournament that the fans got completely and <laughs> utterly wrong. Mm, interesting. Uh, so if you look at that 94-95 team, I will argue it was more talented than the than the 92-93 team. It was probably the best team that Barkley had around him in his time in Phoenix. Uh, if you remember, this was the year that Danny Manning 
signed a one-year t- deal to join the team. I uh, was a number one pick in '88. was was in his prime at this point. It wasn't as if he was was over the hill. Uh, he signed a one-year, I believe it was one million dollar contract. It was highly undervalued because he trusted Jerry Colangelo, and Jerry Colangelo said, "If you sign this one-year deal, I'm going to take care of you next year when we have the cap space." It was kind of a, a handshake deal like that, and. At one point, they were 36-10 and 10 in this season, the best wow. record at that point. And this is where Joe Klein in practice falls on Danny Manning's knee, and Danny Manning blows out his knee. But even without Manning, they were an unbelievable team. You're talking Dan Marley, Charles Barkley, Kevin Johnson, Elliot Perry, Perry West Person, Danny Manning, Danny Ainge, A.C. Green, uh, Richard Dumas, Wayman Tisdale, Joe Klein, uh, we're we're talking serious talent and and serious depth uh, around Barkley this year and and if it hadn't been for what I've been told was some poor decisions by Charles Barkley during the playoffs in terms of how hard he went out and had fun during that Houston <laughs> Rockets series, I think this team uh, probably is one of the biggest what ifs to me. Uh, in Suns history because they go to seven games uh, against Houston uh, in the playoffs and they lose for a second straight year. That Houston team goes on to win its second straight title. But I think this is the team that should have won uh, a title for the Suns. And uh, frankly, as much as I love the 09-10 uh, team and that it was one of those uh, true cases of chemistry being greater than the total sum of the talent, uh, on the roster, uh, and and they had an unbelievable run. It was so much fun. It was, it was probably the most fun outside of 92-93 I've had uh, as a Suns fan. Just fundamentally, that 94-95 team was better, and the simulation uh, plays out that way, too. It would have been a 110-85 victory for the 94-95 team, and they would have outscored in this simulation, they outscored the 09-10 team 38 to 8 in the fourth quarter. <laughs> wow. All right, like they they just dominated Jesus. Uh, this group. So I I think this was this was certainly uh, a, a recency bias factor here because that 94-95 yeah. team was unbelievable. Yeah, but, so I agree. Um I, but I think there's more First of all, yeah, Espo's right. Um the fans got it wrong here. 95 would win. Uh, recency bias definitely plays a huge role in it, but also this is just, you know, I think 2010 resonates as a story with a lot of Suns fans, particularly younger Suns fans. And, and more so this speaks to the power of expectations kind of as you were, you were talking about Espo, the 95 team was supposed to go all the way with Jordan out of the picture. So when they lost it, it leaves a bad taste in a lot of people's mouths. On the other hand, 2010, you remember, Mike, and, and both of you, media outlets were projecting that team to go 500 yeah. uh, and completely miss the playoffs before the season started. So for that specific team, kind of with the lack of athleticism that it had, uh, to rise to the occasion, get to the Western Conference Finals, it created an all-time amazing memory for Suns fans, uh, particularly the younger ones that happened to follow this podcast. So that's definitely why it won. Um, it wouldn't have won. In a, in a hypothetical matchup between those two. I guess the only thing I could say in uh, defense of 2010 is that that was one of the greatest, uh, maybe the best three-point shooting team we've had still to this date. Yeah. 
um, in Suns history. And I looked it up. The 2010 team, it led the league in three-point shooting, 41%. Uh, The only two teams to shoot at least 40% from deep on at least 20 attempts per game in NBA history, it's that team and the 73-win Warriors. So, you know, just the way that I was talking about last round with if the shots don't fall, you know, 05 loses with this one. If the shots fall, 2010 has a chance. You know, if Jared Dudley and Channing Frye and and Jason Richardson and all those guys kind of on the outskirts, if they're really popping and and hitting their threes, then they have a chance. But overall, there's no one on that team that can stop uh, Charles Barkley to for starters. There's no Marion. There's well, no yeah. Marion, yeah. yeah. And Amari, by that point, is, is slowed by multiple knee injuries and uh, uh, and isn't quite the same uh, athletic guy as you saw in, in the 04-05 team, too. But when you look at 94-95, though, they were no slouches when it came to three-pointers. I mean, Marley yeah. could shoot them. Barkley yep. could. It was Person Marley's best could, season. Ainge could. Yeah. yeah. Marley shot uh, 6.7 three-pointers per game that, that that was the most of his career uh for just putting up three-pointers and and he he was making them at 36 percent and and they had yeah they had a couple guys who would really launch the threes and uh, of course marley being the main one i think that sun's team sam i think you nailed it there the story is so good uh it's such a feel-good story uh, unexpected one uh where just people didn't expect it to be what it was i think that there is just a case to be made in that there was a stretch of that season where Robin Lopez, who was having a good season, uh, went down and he was injured and the team started chanting Fry in his place. And that team was just so unguardable uh, during that time. And I think that was one of those things that led to a massive change in how a lot of teams play in the NBA because of just the way they spread it out. And of course we, as we know, Steve Kerr was involved uh, with that team and you see how he took that formula and, and, and just kind of stretched it out to the absolute extreme with some of the best shooters of all time. But I like the point you made, Sam best, maybe the best shooting Suns team from three pointers. They still did not sh- shoot the most in the league. They did mm-hmm. in previous seasons, Oh four Oh five and Oh seven. I believe both of those seasons, they shot the most three pointers in the league. There's a case to be made that that 2009, 2010 team, should have shot more. And I think this is kind of the the weird history of the Phoenix Suns where through today's lens, you look at every team and think, well, for one, Steve Nash should have shot more. And two, maybe the entire team should have shot more three-pointers in general. Uh, but uh, that, that was still a very good team. And, and I, I agree with both of you. I think that 94-95 team uh, maybe didn't quite get its due in that matchup. Um, we'll come back to that 2009-2010 team. I'm glad we got a little bit of talking about that uh, 94-95 team. Uh, this next matchup was the 2006-2007 Suns versus versus the 75-76 Phoenix Suns, which in no way did I expect the 75-76 <laughs> Suns to get past this first round. But I do still think it's kind of unfortunate just because that's another one where uh, the story was remarkable. Uh, there was a, f- a few weeks ago, I, I actually don't know, c- the concept of time has totally uh, been lost on me, but we did a segment on our podcast, which thanks to Cody, of course, one of the producers for us, uh, This Week in Sun's History uh, segment where we 
actually went over what the 75-76 Suns team's record was at that time, and it was almost exactly the same as the 2019-2020 Suns team record. Just to show you how much the 75-76 team turned it on at the end of the season and were able to take that momentum into the playoffs as a, as a team that was barely one game over 500, uh, two games really, but they could have been 41 and 41 had they lost one more game. And then took that all the way to the finals where there was, most people don't, I don't remember this, none of us on this podcast were even alive at this time, but from what people talk about who watched it, that was one of the most memorable finals of all time versus the Boston Celtics. But just to, to give it away here, 86.7% of Suns fans voted for the 07 team. And I'll be honest, that was probably less than I thought. I thought the 07 team was going to uh, win a little more dramatically in that. I am interested, Greg, uh, what the simulation said about this and, of course, how you felt about these results. Well, the simulation said that the 06-07 team would have won uh, 101-97. Wow. That's close. Wow. That's really close. And this was another case where it came down to the fourth quarter. uh, uh, Actually, the second half, uh, the... The 76 team was leading, uh, looks like it was 56 to 45 going into halftime. And, uh, and the 06, 07 team kind of just powered its way through in the, in the second half. Uh, a guy that I don't think current Suns fans, uh, know, uh, how good he was, was Paul Westfall. And, uh, the simulation showed that he had 34 points, uh, five assists on 11 of nine shooting. So, uh, I think I think that may be part of the factor here. That and uh, and Alvin Adams, uh, who we talked about earlier, had 15 points, 15 rebounds uh, in the simulation. So I think some some fans probably didn't realize just how good those two guys were back then. And you guys talked about uh, how that record was very similar to this year's Suns team until they went on uh, a run. At, at the end, and the thing was they had a lot of injuries with that team. This was Alvin Adams' rookie year, so he was uh, still kind of trying to find his way and hit his stride uh, towards the, the end of the year. He won rookie of the year that year, but we all know, having experienced uh, you know plenty of, of young guys over the last few years, that uh, you know there's ups and downs in in a rookie season so uh so yeah I, I just i think i think the fans got the vote right yeah i just don't think it it should have been as big of a blowout because there was something truly special about that uh that 75 76 team and they pushed one of the greatest franchises and we're talking this is the Celtics in the 70s. This is the in the middle of their dominance with Red Auerbach uh, being the coach and 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 just them dominating the league. They pushed the, that team to the brink. I mean, it was another uh, the only the only other Suns team to make a finals, and and they really held their own there. Uh, I think again the athleticism in the end. Would have done would have done them in because when you're going against Amari Nash and and Marion, uh, you probably wouldn't keep up. But uh, it certainly, I certainly think it would have been closer than the vote indicated. Greg, does that simulation include threes? It does. It does. How did the '76 team shoot? They shot from long 30, range? 33 percent, five of fifteen. Wow. Uh, Garherd and 
Westfall made uh, made four of the five, which uh, which seems about right, especially Westfall. Yeah. I mean, he was a uh, he was a shooter uh, and and would have had the range to be able to do that. And uh, and actually, if you go back and watch that that shot heard around the world that Gar heard. Hits yeah. in that in those finals, it's not that far off from uh, from yeah. three point range, which uh, actually could have won the game rather than than tied it if that had been uh, right. in play back then. So, yeah, I watched uh, I watched the entirety of the overtimes for for that game recently, just because we were preparing for that segment that uh, that that we produced and. Um, they shot shots like they they were not pounding it on the inside. They they shot a lot of jump shots. They were you know for for a team that didn't have any you know that season had no three point line and and they actually did uh, take a lot of shots. I think that uh, that oh six oh seven team was just so damn good and so well rounded. You know the the highest scoring player on that oh six oh seven team was Amari Stoudemire. He he only averaged twenty point four uh, points. Uh, mm-hmm. on that season, that's, that's not a lot. And then you had Steve Nash with, you know, an incredible <coughs> season, 18.6 points, 11.6 uh, assists. Leandro Barbosa is probably his best season of his career with 18 points per game. And then you still had multiple guys that were in the teens with Sean Marion and Raja Bell with scoring. Uh, it was just so well, well-rounded. And of course, Boris Diaw, um, on that team, James Jones, current general manager, uh, with some some highlights that season. Just a guy who basically Cam Johnson <laughs> for the Suns now. Uh, that's how that's how he played back then. And then of course, uh, Kurt Thomas uh, was on that team. And then uh, Pat Burke, of course, uh, for a lot of uh, Suns fans, me included, is is a very memorable player <laughs> on that se- team. One player that was not memorable and still has a grudge about it was uh, Jalen Rose, who did not play a lot. And still does not like Mike D'Antoni uh, to this day when he talks about him and that season. Uh, Sam, what did you think about these uh, these results? Uh, I, I'm not surprised. Um, I think 07. Uh, I am surprised actually with the simulation being a four point difference. Um, I think it, it likely would have been a wider gap than that. Um, excuse me, one second. I have to cough. <coughs> oh no, coughing, Sam. No, I'm fine. I promise. Into your elbow. <laughs> <laughs> I'm fine. Social distancing. I'm at home, quarantined. Um, the only thing I was going to say, uh, and and it's not really an interesting revelation. I don't know if this is well known or not, but I, I was just doing research on the '76 team. Gar Hurd is not the only one who was acquired mid-season by the Suns. Did you guys know that Pat Riley was on that team? Is that a well-known thing? Yes, and he had the greatest mustache uh, <laughs> and the longest hair. Uh, it was unbelievable. You have to go back and and find, uh, find it. He had like a, a Fu Manchu mustache, a big old <laughs> thing, really long hair, and dressed the the part of uh, of a seventies player. It was unbelievable uh, he, seeing Pat Riley on that. It team. it was the final season of his career. He came from L.A. Uh, he only averaged 13 minutes per game, and in the playoffs, you know, rotations get a little bit tighter. He played a total of 27 minutes in the playoffs over five games, including one minute uh, against the Celtics in the finals. But I thought, I just thought that was interesting. I was like, well, I had to do a double take. I was like, wait, there, that, Pat Riley's a pretty common name. That has to be a different Pat Riley, right? Because I had just never heard of that. 
<laughs> I'm telling you, find the picture. Greatest mustache ever. By the way, the uh, the simulation was kind to Jalen Rose. He played six minutes, went two for two, including a three-pointer, had five points. So he technically would have been the difference in the simulation as they won by four points. So I actually think that he has a, 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 a right to be kind of angry. Uh, that season, I'm surprised he didn't play more. He he had some good seasons previous to that. It, maybe it was an attitude thing, or uh, maybe it was something he didn't practice that caused him to lose minutes. But I'm surprised he didn't play that much. Um, you know, there were there were plenty of did not play DNPs uh, on the box scores for Jalen Rose. So I understand why he would have been frustrated. Didn't didn't seem to be a problem at the time, from what I remember. Uh, but I remember just I was a fan of him on the previous teams that he played on before, and I was always surprised uh, that he didn't play more minutes. That leaves, so that's the entire first round. So that leaves the 93 Suns versus the 2007 Suns and the 05 Suns versus the 2010 Suns. Steve Nash versus Steve Nash. As you can see, our uh, fans of this podcast do love Steve Nash. And uh, <laughs> I understand why. <laughs> He's a very likable very likable player, and I think there was so much. Those teams were so good from 2005 to 2010. It makes sense. Um, the next round had the closest matchup so far. It includes a team that we just talked about, that 2007 team. I'm very interested in what uh, the simulation that uh, Greg's been running for us says about this because this matchup was the finals Suns team, the 92-93 Suns, versus the 2007 Suns, and the 93 Suns won by 0.5% of the vote. The closest one so far, I, I didn't do the calculation, but I imagine it's just one or two votes that it won by here, uh, with 50.5% of the votes. That 93 Suns team won. This was a difficult one for me too, but I, I, I think I would have picked the 93 Suns here, but I actually I don't think that it's insane to pick that 07 Suns team, I just think any team that really took Michael Jordan to the brink in the NBA Finals uh, can sort of stand a chance against any team, period. Uh, Greg, why don't you give us your thoughts and, of course, the result of the simulation that you ran? I was... I, I Actually, I voted for the 06-07 team in the wow. poll, which was against my my childhood self he was screaming locked inside of me uh, somewhere <laughs> but uh you just look at it and again it comes down to the, the athleticism and uh, you know this was as much as you know a lot of guys didn't get rotational minutes it still was a a fairly deep team uh, you know Kurt Thomas and Barbosa uh, even Marcus Banks uh, played minutes with that team. The simulation, and you guys aren't going to believe this because I didn't believe it, and I actually ran it multiple times, and the results were always within the same ballpark. It was a blowout for the 06-07 team. They won 122-86. Wow. 122-86. Yeah. And this is a case of, you said <coughs> you live or die by the three-point shot, right? Well... They shot sixty percent from from deep in uh, <laughs> in the simulation with the ninety two ninety three team only hitting fifteen percent, and I think this is a, this is a a look at how playing different eras and different styles of uh, of ball in these kind of uh, right. imaginary tournaments would have an impact because uh, it's it's certainly true that, that the oh six oh seven team would have. Uh, 
fired from deep a lot more than the 92-93 team. And I think this may be a matchup of two of the bigger what-ifs, you know, in in Suns history. Mm -hmm. I I talked about how I feel about 94-95, but 06-07 is the, the, obviously, the hip check uh, year, right? So that that's a big what if there. They probably win that Spurs series, and nobody else is stopping them that year. In ninety two, ninety three, the big what if is if you actually guard John Paxson, you get to Game Seven. What is you know? Uh, do you win at home in Game Seven of the ninety two, ninety three Finals? But I I I don't I. I have a tough time arguing against the simulation because it's doing a lot of math that I would never be able to, uh, to, to, to compute, obviously. But I don't think it would have been a blowout, but I still think the 0607 team would have, would have won this. Sam, yeah. what do you think? <clears throat> I mean, it depends. This is a cop-out, of course. I don't think it would be a blowout. It depends on rules, though, because I think with the types of rules that you use, a lot of people are going to think, instantly about hand checking. I think that was one of the big um, things to enter into the NBA realm in the early 2000s. And they're going to say, oh, if you couldn't hand check Kevin Johnson, who was already a great slasher, uh, he'd be able to feast on any point guard in the 2000s. But I think when you talk about that team specifically with Barkley, even more important than hand checking is, um, are we allowing or are we not allowing that five second back to basket rule? Because if you take that, that's the Charles Barkley rule in essence, right? Mm -hmm. If you take that mode of creation away from Barkley, where he doesn't get to dribble for 10 seconds uh, and kind of just steamroll through anyone in the post uh, because he has the size advantage to do it. And then you play him against that 2017, which has Sean Marion. Uh, If you could put money on any kind of modern player from the past 15 to 20 years being able to contain Charles Barkley, especially if he can't just bulldoze through you in the post... I would put good money on, on that player being Sean Marion. Right. So if you put Marion to contain Barkley, you hit your threes, you spread the floor. Obviously, you've got the pick-and-roll attack with Nash and Stoudemire. Um, maybe Stoudemire gets contained by the interior defense. You know, Maybe Mark West is able to shut that down. I'm not sure. But I think 07 does have a very good chance of winning this one. Uh, again, if you take that away from Barkley. If Barkley has that, I don't know. He, he might just be... I mean, because he's got like... At that stage in his career... Probably like a 20 to 30 pound advantage on Marion, yeah. right? And and right. Amari's not going to stop him either. So you have to find a way to contain Barkley inside. But the double team factor comes into play here as well. Because mm-hmm. with Mark West playing center, and the matchup would have been against Amari Stoudemire on both ends of the court, which I think Stoudemire obviously dominates offensively. Mark West isn't stopping uh, Amari Stoudemire, but defensively he could have cheated off of Mark West in a lot of situations to help Marion on a double team, even if Barkley had the back down that he could do. So I still think uh, I still think defensively they would have had an advantage there. Yeah, I think this one came down like if we're if we're talking about them actually playing each other, it's a matchup. It's a matchup thing, and I think you hit the exact right points. With uh, Charles Barkley, this was the kind of the only Suns team that I think would have had a, a good chance of stopping Barkley. And I think if the 06-07 team was on the other side of the bracket, this would have been the final matchup. It would have been the 92-93 team versus the 06-07 team. 
Uh, as it turns out, it's it'll be another matchup. Of course, we got the 05 versus 2010 team uh, we're going to talk about next, and that will decide the matchup. The 92-93 team did make it to the finals here in this matchup, and of course they did in real life. But, I mean, the more we talk about it, the more I can be convinced that that 06-07 team would have a great chance against them. They would, of course, spread them out uh, defensively, and I think Amare could have feasted in those scenarios. I do still think as much as you can try to contain Charles Barkley, he was an MVP at this point of his career, and he would have still gotten his here. One thing that I do want to talk to you guys about, something that sort of broke out in our mentions, I think, uh, of this specific matchup was the idea of Kevin Johnson versus Steve Nash. And I won't say this is Kevin Johnson at his peak because it's just statistically it's not uh, at his peak. And of course, he shared the ball a lot with Charles Barkley, who handled it a lot at the top of the key, which took away uh, some of the Kevin Johnson possessions. But I do wonder, I think to me, I look at this and I, I always think Steve Nash was the better player but I think people online were sort of making the case that the, the, the matchup of Kevin Johnson versus Steve Nash was either a wash for this or it favored Kevin Johnson. So, Espo, what do you think uh, between those two guys specifically? Well, I think what people probably aren't taking into consideration was 92-93 uh, was the second fewest games in a year that uh, that Kevin Johnson played. He was hampered by hamstring issues. Uh, and I believe a knee issue as well uh, in this season. So uh, as much as we like to remember uh, how great Kevin Johnson was, it just really wasn't the case in, in this year. It was a it was a down year. It was the uh, second fewest points he averaged as a son. It was the uh, second fewest assists. Uh, in a season he averaged as a son. So we weren't talking peak Kevin Johnson here. So I think, uh, you know, the argument is watered down by that. Uh, Steve Nash was healthier than Kevin Johnson uh, in in these two years that you're, you're having them face off. So I actually think there's an advantage to Steve Nash there. Plus, uh, Nash was capable of shooting three. Kevin Johnson only shot 12% uh, that year uh, from three-point uh, land. So, I mean, it wasn't it wasn't a highly efficient year for him either. So, I, I really think, I mean, it would be different if we were talking those late 80s, early 90s Kevin Johnson versus Steve Nash. Maybe even that following year, 93, 94, where he, KJ was a little healthier, but this was really where the injury plagued Kevin Johnson uh, came into play, and so I think that would have been a big reason why Nash would have had the advantage in uh, in the matchup. Sam, what do you think? Yeah, give me give me 2007, the body of 2007, Steve Nash, with the the presence of mind of 2020 Nash to kind of know just to go around that slip screen set by Amari and fire up 10 or 15 threes per game. (laughs) I, it's just so unfortunate that we never got to see that from him because he had, uh, we all know he had that Curry-esque ability and that floor spacing is so, so valuable, valuable to be able to create and mold your entire offense around that. Um, and Kevin Johnson just didn't have that. He, he didn't, you know, I don't hold that against him because if he grew up in this era, uh, he probably would have shot threes as well. As I recall, he shot the three ball a little bit better towards the end of his career in the late 90s. Um, but he, he didn't have the same sort of gravity and, and 
presence that Nash did on the court, I guess I would say. So yeah, I'm biased because I'm young, obviously. And, you know, 93 was before I was born. But I would take Nash in that matchup for sure. I'm think, old and I agreed with you, so you don't yeah, feel too I, bad about it. Steve Nash was an MVP. Like, <laughs> I don't think it's a crazy take. It's not like uh, Kevin Johnson was in the MVP consideration. Of course, he had one on his team, and that, that kind of helped the narrative there. But I think that it's just another case of Steve Nash's stats, just the counting numbers, not giving a full picture of his overall impact. And that can plague Suns fans as well, uh, if you're sort of just comparing it to other Suns players. Uh, there's just so much that he did for that team and it caused defenses to constantly scramble. Recently, the New Jersey Nets uh, versus Phoenix Suns game, which was the classic duel of Jason Kidd versus Steve Nash, uh, that game aired, uh, which which the NBA is, is airing classic games. This game was one that aired, and people were watching it online. And I think so commonly, Steve Nash would just penetrate into the defense, the defense would collapse, and then the ball would whiz around two times, and uh, somebody would make a three. That's that, unless you are tracking hockey assists, Steve Nash gets nothing for that, but the entirety of that shot was created by what Steve Nash did. And that's the type of thing I think that that people tend to forget. He was an offense uh, onto himself. He was, he was capable of just creating so much out of so little. So I think, yeah, it's Steve Nash in that one as well. And that's not a slight to Kevin Johnson. We This is a Kevin Johnson season as Espo talked about, that was not his best. And, and that's why it's difficult to, to make that case for that 93 season. It can be argued if Kevin Johnson was fully healthy, uh, you know, he missed games in the playoffs of that year. It can be argued if he was fully healthy that they would have won a championship that year. So some of that can be placed on him, not any fault of his here. But uh, let's move on to the next matchup in that second round that determines which team was going to the finals of this matchup to face that 93 Suns team, which I expected to get to the finals. It was the one seed after all. And this was the 2005 Suns versus the 2010 Suns. This was also relatively close, and it came down to 60.6 voting for that 2005 Suns team. And I think this was the right choice. As much as I enjoyed that 2010 Suns team, uh, as we talked about, the, the talent, the sheer talent that was on that 2005 Suns team, how well put together it was and how revolutionary it was uh, really, I think, was the right choice here. Sam, what did you think? And I can't wait, Greg, to hear the simulation on this one. But uh, <laughs> Sam, what did you think? Yeah, this is an interesting one, but I think it's pretty easy, ultimately, to echo what you said. 2010 is a great story. It's just a great story. Putting that aside for a second, though, let's say you've got Sean Marion running in transition. He's leaking out uh, after every rebound for the 2005 team. You've got Nash versus Nash. You've got Amari versus Amari. Who's checking Sean Marion in transition yeah. for the 2010 team? You know, is it Grant Hill? Is it Jason Richardson? Is it Jared Dudley? Uh, in in my mind, there is no one even close to being capable on that 2010 team of containing a presence like Sean Marion to just leak out and wreak havoc in transition. You talk about other guys too, you know, Jason Richardson, to his credit on offense, Jason Richardson was a force to be reckoned with at some points when he turned it on. You know, you could um, point to the Portland series early on. I think that was the first round of the 2010 playoff run when Jason Richardson really bailed them out of some games. 
But even at his best, I think that's basically neutralized by Joe Johnson in 2005, who I think was a similar level of talent, similar level of secondary ball handler who could kind of initiate his own offense. So I think this this pretty easily goes to 2005, uh, unless uh, Joe Johnson breaks his face again or something. <laughs> I even think with Joe Johnson breaking his face, it probably goes to uh, 04, 05 uh, as well. And you know, it's interesting to think about you know the 0405 Nash versus the 0910 Nash and and what a matchup between those two yeah. guys would be like because you had Nash in 0910 who was starting to slow a little bit but would have had the knowledge of all those runs that they made that they failed uh, failed in and would know the flaws of his his own game that he would have been going up against so it would re- would have really been an, an interesting mental matchup and in the simulation uh 0405 Nash had 22 points 14 assists and 6 rebounds and 0910 Nash had 24 points 9 assists and 3 rebounds so it was really it was really a, a wash when it came down to those guys and i think you're uh, you're completely right in terms of looking at Sean Marion as being the difference maker because you would have had to put uh, you would have had to put Jason Richardson on him just to try to combat the athleticism and it just it would have been a mess in terms of trying to guard him and uh, in the simulation Marion just dominated on the boards he had 18 rebounds wow. uh, in this where nobody on the uh, 09 10 team had more than six uh, and I think that probably likely would have been the case yeah. plus you're getting yeah. a, a young Amari pre-knee injuries versus a, a exactly. Amari at the end of uh, uh, of his usefulness in terms of his knees. And uh, I think I think the fans got this right. Simulation agrees. They said uh, the 0405 team would have won 120 to 107. And I think that's probably about the way this would have played out in reality. Now, that doesn't diminish that 0910 team. They were extremely fun to watch. Uh, they were... Uh, they were a a good team, but that 0405 team was uh, was the start of the basketball revolution. And uh, it's interesting in the simulation, uh, almost identical from three point range. Uh, the 0910 team had a slight advantage, going nine of 22, and the uh, 0405 team went eight of 23. So even that was kind of a wash. Right? It just came down to. Uh, athleticism of that 0405 team it looks like and i think that that just makes a lot of sense when you put in the marion amari uh, and joe johnson factor with yeah. a, a slightly younger nash it just it makes sense it's just not a good matchup for the 2009-2010 team amari was absolutely dominant in that 0405 season and like you said a younger steve nash helps you out as well but even going sort of down the line here, who who guards Joe Johnson, who guards Sean Marion, you know, that 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 becomes pretty difficult right away. And even even beyond that, Leandro Barbosa, as we talked about, uh, was incredible off the bench there that they would struggle to cover him as well. And you look at that 2009-2010 team, I mean, off the bench you have Goran Dragic, but it's just not quite it's not the Goran Dragic that we all uh, fell in love with <laughs> until the end of that season, right? He was good in the playoffs but like in a single in a single game here uh you can't count on him to be like what Leandro Barbosa was which was an absolute spark six man of the year player uh off the bench for that 
Well, let's, 405 team. Let's be honest. That 0910 team was like a photocopy of a photocopy of the 0405 team. I mean, it was yeah. trying to hold on to what uh, what that that 0405 team had started, and it just wasn't quite the same. Some of the magic was still there, but it just wasn't uh, as good of a team. You know? and, and so I, th- I think it played out the way it should have. Yeah, I, I agree. And it was a really close uh, matchup. There's, like I said, 60.6 voted. And that left the 93 Suns versus the 2005 Suns in in the finals here. And I had no idea who to vote for in, in this in this finals. And uh, it looks like people were relatively conflicted as well. This was the second closest matchup. 52% voted for the 2004-2005 Phoenix Suns team, which, based on timeline podcast listeners or follow, at least followers uh, online, that is now officially the greatest Suns team of all time. And I, I, I can't argue either way on this. I understand why that 05 Suns team uh, won here. I think that it can be argued that Charles Barkley was the best player in this matchup, but that 2005 Suns team was a better put-together team. Uh, but uh, what do you think, Greg? And what did the the computer think? Well, look, because that's all that matters. Yeah, yeah. Greg, we, we don't need you next time. We're just going to use the computer. <laughs> but thanks for uh, for letting us know about it. Now, uh, I looking at it, uh, I this was a very very intriguing matchup. But I think again, it comes down to style of play, like we've talked about throughout this. And athleticism, and uh, I think it would have been very close. But a, Amar, a young Amari, a young Joe Johnson, Steve Nash, starting to discover what his what his powers truly are uh, in this league, and and, and Marion, I think, would have given 0405 the advantage. And uh, again, crushing for me to say to you know, as somebody that that holds that ninety two ninety three team near and dear but i just i don't think they would have had the firepower the simulation uh mimicked kind of that feeling and the and the feeling uh, of the fan vote it was a two-point game and wow. a two-point victory for the 0405 team wow. even though that they were the uh the guest the, the away team since they were uh, the the lower seed uh but they pulled it out uh in the end and it was you know came down to uh, basically a two point uh, difference in wow. the uh, in the third quarter that uh, wound up winning it there for these two teams. So it, it would have been an ultimate matchup, and I think that to me that suggests in the end uh, that the fans probably got the two best Suns teams of all time into the finals, and that they voted it right in terms of uh, the way it would have played out. See, but that's interesting because the computer, and again, it doesn't really matter what the simulation thinks, but the simulation thinks that 2005 beats 93 by two points, right, Greg? That's what you said. It thinks 2007 blows them out. Well, I I actually think the 2007 team, uh, if you you take out, you know, some of the, the weirdness that happens in the playoffs, is a better... Team right. than 0405 in the well, there, in the end. Yeah, but, you know. Okay. Yeah, there we go. And 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 I kind of wanted to bring that out because that's interesting to me. So 2000, uh, 2007 lost to this team in the poll. 
2005 beat it. I wasn't under the impression that the general consensus was that 2005 was actually a better team because, you know, I think on a surface level, so much of the focus about 2005 versus 2007, uh, the first thing you would think of is, well, okay, it's Q Rich and, uh, Joe and JJ, yeah. Joe Johnson versus Bell and Diao because those are, those are the main guys who are different in the core. But, you know, there's there's just other things that we have to think about. Like Steve Nash didn't win MVP in 2007 because of voter fatigue it would have been his third straight but it was probably his best of those three years with the way he averaged a career high close to 19 points per game absurd efficiency he shot 53 percent from the field close to 46 from deep you had the difference of leandro barbosa being sixth man of the year in 2007 versus not really being quite that consistent presence in 2005 honestly in 2005 i think you could compare him more to goran dragic what goran dragic was in 2010 as we were just talking about him um, and, and, you know, like even just small little micro developments in, in a guy like Amari Stoudemire, who kind of mid uh, prime was able to start developing that mid range jump shot a little bit more maybe than what he had a couple years prior in 2005. So I think I'm right there with you as well. I think 2007 is a better team than 2005. And therefore, maybe it's the 2007 team that is actually the best team of all time, even though it didn't even get into the finals. But I think this is where uh, fan voting uh, is somewhat problematic. And this is not a knock on anybody that voted uh, in, in this poll. I think it's just simply, when we think back on 0405, right, it's fresh. It's new in terms of the way that they came out and they played. It was coming off a 29-win season the previous year. So in our minds, I think looking back, we more fondly remember the 0405 team because it was a pleasant surprise mm-hmm. and captured our imagination. Where 0708 was that year of the of the hip check and and Donaghy and all these things that uh, that wind up uh, just clouding our view of that team, I think is a big reason why uh, probably with the fan voting, it went the way that it did. I think as well, Joe Johnson, uh, the people who are voting have the hindsight of understanding that in 2006, 2007, Joe Johnson averaged 25 points per game. Yeah, that's a good uh, point. You know, so they look back at that 0405 team, and I think it has more of that sort of, wow, that team was really good factor to it, that sort of Warriors uh, mentality of th- this team was stacked with all-stars, and had they stayed together, uh, they would have been the best. So I think that's, you're right, I think that I think that 07 team was better as well, actually. But I think there's so much uh, going into it mentally of understanding who those players became and who they were after that season that uh, so many uh, fans look back on it and say they wish that team had stayed together. And I think they're right. I think I still personally harbor weird feelings towards Steve Kerr after trading Sean Marion away. And I imagine there's a lot of that going on with Joe Johnson as well and, and just losing Joe Johnson on this team. So... That's it. That's what people voted for. So I want to thank everyone who voted. This is already a very long episode, so I'll (laughs) go ahead and let you guys go now. But thanks to everyone who voted on this. Tell us if you're if you're right or if you're wrong, if you have different opinions, if you're insane. Let us know what you thought about how we discussed. Let Espo know. Make sure to follow Espo <laughs> at 
Espo, E-S-P-O. And of course, listen to the solar panel. Espo, do you have anything else that you'd like to plug? No, I just uh, I want to thank you guys for uh, having me on and thank you guys for uh, the work you put in. It is obviously a labor of love uh, with your show that you, you do a lot that is uh, is great. And I'm glad uh, Suns fans have uh, have this uh, as well to, to listen to uh, because you guys do uh, do a great job. So congrats on that. Thank you very much, and thank you for joining us. Sam, you got anything else? That is it. Thank you very much for the kind words, Espo. Um, listeners at home, if you have any criticism about this episode, uh, direct it uh, right at Espo. His Twitter handle is... <laughs> what is your Twitter handle? Is it just... It's just at Espo. It's so just it's a great at Twitter Espo. Handle. E-S-P-O. <laughs> One letter away from ESPN. It's a great, great Twitter handle. Uh, but thank you once again. Thank you, everyone. For participating if you have any ideas for our next week's episode feel free to let us know we're still we're still running on fumes here yeah this this was a fan idea so this was created by you guys really <laughs> all right we'll be back next week Sugar Ray Leonard, Roberto Duran, Marvelous Marvin Hagler, and Thomas Hearns. Legends, whose four-way rivalry defined one of the greatest eras in boxing history. Relive their decade of dominance in the new Showtime sports documentary, The Kings, a four-part series premiering Sunday, June 6th, only on Showtime. Whether you're a world-class athlete or a podcaster like me, we all understand the importance of mental and physical well-being and proper recovery for top-notch performance. That's why I'm excited that Unified Healing is sponsoring podcasts on the Blue Wire Network. Unified Healing is a new and super innovative global network of wellness centers powered by Energy Enhancement System, or EE System. If you haven't heard of the EE System yet, then you'll want to listen up. This technology promotes wellness, deep relaxation, purification, and rejuvenation. Wherever you are across the globe, access to a center is easy and affordable. Interested in experiencing the EE System technology for yourself? Go to unifiedhealing.com slash bluewire to learn more and find a center near you. That's unified, U-N-I-F-Y-D, healing.com slash bluewire. No material or testimonials on the Unified Healing website are intended to be viewed as medical advice or a substitute for professional medical advice, diagnosis, or treatment. Always seek the advice of your physician or other qualified healthcare provider with any questions you may have regarding a medical condition or treatment and before undertaking a new healthcare regimen, including EE system.